Well, let's jump back in to Genesis 22. What did y'all cover last week? Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Uh, Let's continue with uh, 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love... And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said... Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted lifted up his eyes and looked and Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. In July of 2000, Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France for the second year in a row. In 1999, the first year that he won, much was made about the fact that he had survived cancer. Armstrong not only recovered from the cancer, but he went on that year to win the most prestigious race in cycling. 
But there were those who said that the victory was hollow because some of the best competitors had to sit out the race in 1999 due to a doping scandal. Few believed Armstrong could win again in 2000 when the best cyclist in the world would once again be back and... In 2000, they made the course even more mountainous. But Armstrong not only won, but he won by a whopping six minutes. Staggering win. In analyzing his victory, a commentator pointed out that it was after his bout with cancer that he really became a premier cyclist. He was 40 pounds lighter than he had been before. And while he bulked up some in recovery years, he always remained lighter. The loss of weight coupled with greater conditioning all worked together to benefit him in the long run. Now, we know he went on to do some other things too, scandals. But, you know, as Christians, we often wonder why bad things happen. But you know what? As we think about our own lives and as we think about things that we have been through, what do we learn about adversity? You get through it and you get stronger. Exactly. As we began looking at two weeks ago, we see that Even somebody like Abraham was tested in his faith. In fact, all of the biblical characters were tested in their faith. Now, we might say this was not only a test for him, but it was the supreme test for Abraham. And what we see tonight in this passage is is the importance of obedience to God when we're tested. Even when we don't understand what God is doing. When we don't see the outcome, when we don't understand it, there's the importance of obeying. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is the reality of testing. And to some degree, we're kind of catching up with where we were a couple of weeks ago before we move move ahead again. But the reality of testing. I'm sure you know by now that life is full of tests. Norman Vincent Peale said on one occasion, only people in cemeteries do not have trials and some of them are in deep, deep trouble. An earthquake happens, destroys a family. A man or a woman loses their job, their family goes bankrupt. A car wreck takes the life of an infant. A child is stricken with a deadly disease. On and on we could go. We see the Christian life, the Christian journey is a lot like that too. No matter how committed you are to Jesus Christ, at some time or another, at some point, you are going to be tested in your faith. We see in the book of Acts that God tested the early church. He tested them through persecution. He used that persecution as tests to drive them out of Jerusalem and finally get them out doing the, the, the commission around the world that they had been charged to do because they'd sort of camped out right there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Even Jesus went through test of obedience. We're told in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that the Spirit cast him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Also, I think about the garden experience. Jesus had nothing but a cruel death in front of him. And what did he say? Father, if it be your will, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Well, here we come to Abraham in Genesis. And we've been looking really back since chapter 12 at the life and the experience of Abraham. And we've been exploring what makes him such a great saint of God. That the New Testament even refers to as a man who was called the friend of God. We've been looking at the different experiences in his life that, that brings that character reality into focus in his life that he's a man who's referred to as the friend of God well verse 1 says here that God tested Abraham if you're reading from the King James Version what does verse 1 say what did God do God tempted him because at the time of that translation tempt also was used when, when you would be describing a, a test. A test that was used to prove a person. The word tempt was also used. But now folks, we need to understand that there's a huge difference in testing and tempting. Scripture is very clear that God does not tempt. In James chapter 1 verse 13, the scripture says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God tested Abraham. He didn't tempt him. He tested him. Now, as, as you back up and, and read chapters 19, 20, 21, just the previous chapters to this, you get the impression that God has not spoken to Abraham for quite a while. Life has just sort of been coasting along for him, been going pretty smoothly. Isaac's been born, Isaac's grown up, he's a young man, probably a teenager by now. And God has been silent all of these years. Isaac is probably somewhere between the age of 11 and 16, somewhere in that range. But again, it appears that God, for the most part, has been fairly silent in Abraham's life. But then in verse 1 of chapter 22, God speaks to him again. And I want you to notice Abraham's response. What's he say? Here I am. Here's a man who has consistently been yielded to God. He's not won all of his battles. He's won most of them. But the overall direction of Abraham's life has been in the direction of what? Submission to God. He's been yielded to God. 
He was enrolled in the school of faith at 75 years of age. That's when he began following God. Now he's, he's over 100. And even at that age, God's still using him. God's testing him. God's not done with him. What's that show us? Seniors, what's that show you? Are you ever too old? No, you're never too old. That's right. You know, when we stop learning, we stop growing. And when we stop growing, we stop living, don't we? As one writer has said, the first 40 years of life give us the test. The next 30 years supply the commentary. That's true. Oftentimes when God is about to do something new in our lives, something fresh in our lives, what will God do? He'll test us, right? When God's about to do something new. He'll stretch us before he gives us a new assignment. He'll stretch us. And we can't rest upon what we did in the past. Faith is a journey. What's, what's Paul say in Romans 1.17? That the righteous or the just live by faith. One commentator says that God has been the source of stability to Abraham's life. And that's true. He says God has given him security and peace and stability and comfort. He writes, he says, Now the very God who has given all of that is going to be the very God who calls upon Abraham to do something that will rock his world. Why? This writer says, maybe to demonstrate that we dare not become too comfortable with God. We need to realize that in the midst of our comfort, God may call us to do something that is beyond anything that we think we can do. Regardless of why, if you want to continue to grow as a Christian, you need to see that tests are not abnormal they're not unusual but oftentimes people start to question their faith why am I going through this why is this happening to me God I've always served you I've been faithful I've been faithful in Sunday school I've been faithful as a deacon why me why now some people even begin to question their faith They think, if I was really a Christian, would I be going through this? People start wondering all sorts of things. But again, I just want to reiterate to you, all through the Bible we see that all of the great saints of God that we read about, the saints of God that we admire and that we try to emulate, they were all tested. That's a common denominator. If the testing happens to be part of God's discipline, what does Hebrews 12 tell us? God is treating us as children. The writer of Hebrews says, 
All earthly fathers discipline their children because they love them. He says, if you are without discipline, it's because you are an illegitimate child. You're not God's child at all. If you're God's child, he's going to discipline you even as an earthly father disciplines his children. So sometimes tests come in the form of discipline. Folks, we need to remember in the book of Job, God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job to prove a point. Remember what that point was? Satan had accused Job of being faithful to God simply because God had been good to Job. And what did Satan say? Take it all away. And what's Job going to do? Job's going to curse you to your face. So God allowed it. And then Satan came back and said, you know, you took it all away. He still praised you. Now touch his flesh. You touch his flesh and he'll curse you. But again, Job didn't. What was God demonstrating? God was dem- Did God not know about Job? Obviously God knew. God was demonstrating what he already knew about Job. Not only the reality of testing, but I want you to see also the richness of testing. Tests come in a variety of ways. What's James say in James 1? Count it all joy when we fall into various trials. A Greek word from which we get our word polka dot. Maybe what, seriously, maybe what James is communicating is tests come in all different sizes and shapes and colors. All different kinds of, of, of tests. That's so true to life. Abraham has gone through the family test. Again, we covered these two weeks ago. Remember the family test? Abraham, I want you to leave where you are. Leave your father's country and his family and go to the land that I'm going to show you. So Abraham had to separate from everything he knew in his past. Everything about his heritage, he had to leave that behind to go to the new land that God was going to show him. Not only the family test, but the the famine test. When he got into the new land, uh, the promised land, what would become the promised land, there's a a famine that developed in the land, and Abraham failed that test, didn't he? Because he ran down to Egypt. In the Bible, running down to Egypt is always a bad thing. Because you're trusting in man and what man has to offer instead of trusting in God. Then the fellowship test. He and Lot, both together. The, the, the land couldn't support both of them. So rather than selfishly hanging on to everything, what he say to Lot? Lot, you pick out which direction you want to go. Because you and I are brothers in the Lord. We don't need to break fellowship with one another. And so you pick out which direction you want to go and I'll go the other way. Then the fight test. Those kings that took Lot captive and Abraham rescued. Rescued, And then the fortune test. The king of Sodom wanted to make Abraham rich. And he said, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that. 
I don't want it to be said that you're the one who made me wealthy. Then the fatherhood test. Abraham, you're going to have a son in your old age. Then the farewell test. The son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, send the, send the bondwoman away and her son away. Listen to Sarah and send him away. I'll look after him and I'll make a great nation of him too. All of these various tests. Now we come to the faith test. Abram is, Abraham is called upon to sacrifice his son. And who is this son? The son of promise. Exactly. Now, folks, we may not understand this. The new atheist. Are you you acquainted with that group, the new atheist? Men like Richard. Have you heard of Richard Dawkins? Sure. He's in that group. The new atheist call this text right here an example of... Of divine child abuse. That's what they call this chapter. It, it's, a te- it's one of the texts in scripture that they use. In their misguided crusade against God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago too. That this text is one of the texts in the Bible. That Larry King live. Larry King Live, uh, Larry King of the Larry King Live show says that this chapter right here is one of the chapters in the Bible that has kept him from becoming a believer. But you see, folks, we're reading our day and time back into the text. And as we do so, it's, it's hard for us to understand how a father could, could do this. And how God could be telling a father to do this. But what we fail to see is how common this was in the cultures around Abraham. They practiced child sacrifice. In the Canaanite worldview, the God who produced fertility was also entitled to demand a portion of what he had produced. So, if Baal has given you children, their view was he has the right to demand some of those children back. In fact, in ancient text from places like Carthage in North Africa, in ancient text from Carthage, you, you find the ritual of child sacrifice being described and child sacrifice being used as a means of ensuring continued fertility for the community. That's the lies that were given at the time in some of the pagan religions. As a community, you want to make sure you continue to have fertility and have future generations, then you've got to give to the pagan gods some of your children now. That was their thinking. So folks, that, that was the world that Abraham was a part of. And so what sounds strange to us was more commonplace in Abraham's world. 
God wants to see where Abraham's affections really are. And again, God knows, but experientially he's wanting to prove out Abraham. To prove out Abraham through experience. Will Abraham give up what is most precious to him? Is he willing to do that? And folks, we need to understand that God never intended for Abraham to actually go through with it. How do we know that? Because when Abraham was going to go through with it, what did God do? He stepped in and stopped it. So, I mean, that right there proves to us that God never intended for Abraham to actually go through with it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, not even Sarah, his wife, apparently knew fully about this test. Think about it, folks. Everything God had promised to Abraham is wrapped up in Isaac. So what's it seem like God is asking Abraham to do? Destroy his future. He's asked him to cut ties with his past. Now it seems like he's asking him to destroy his future. Yes. And what's the writer of Hebrews say about this? Yes. He, we will go, we will worship, and we will come back. Even if God has me go through it, God can raise the dead. That's the faith that he had. Folks, there's richness to testing that God puts us through. And no one test teaches us everything. All of the various tests in our lives work together to grow us, to stretch us, to strengthen us. This was a huge one, no doubt. Well, Let's look thirdly, the reason for testing. Why does God test us? Is it because he just enjoys seeing us squirm? Is God cruel? Is he a taskmaster? Does he love making your life miserable? Is that the kind of God that we serve? No. If if that's your vision of God, you've got a poor vision of God. Romans 5, 6 says what? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 31 and following says what about God? That he is, that he's against us? No. That he's for us. So why does he test us? 
Well, I've already alluded to one. He tests us that we might grow. Each trial is meant to teach a lesson. If you're going through a trial, there's obviously a point to it. And so instead of asking, how can I get out of this trial? You need to be asking, what does God want me to get out of this trial? Not how do I get out of it, but what's the point? What's God wanting me to learn? And once you get the point, you grow. If you want want to stop and think about each trial you've been through and sort of take inventory, I, I think you'll see that each time you have emerged stronger from it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's one of the points we'll cover in a minute. That you learn something new about the character of God. You know, it seems like we don't grow too much when we're comfortable. If you don't believe that, just read the book of Judges. Every time they got comfortable, what did they do? They slipped back into sin. And God had to bring hardship on them and testing on them before they would look up to Him again, right? And then they, God would send them a deliverer because they'd cry out to Him. And then, then they'd go through a period of time. They'd get comfortable again. And as soon as they got comfortable, what would they do next? They'd get complacent. And then God would have to send more tests on them. Yes. So God sends trials along, and if we respond in faith, we always emerge stronger. Now, through this test here, how did Abraham grow? How did he grow? Well, he was even more completely surrendered to God. And, and again, we could say that he was, he was exposed in a good way, as we've already alluded to about the book of Hebrews. His faith was exposed, that he knew that God could raise the dead. But here was an opportunity, once again, for Abraham to stake everything on the trustworthiness of God's word. And that's exactly what he did. Another reason, a second reason God lets us be tested. To reveal certain things to us. It may be that God is wanting to show us something about ourselves. God may be wanting to show you something about your character. There may be a weakness in you. You may feel like you're committed to the Lord and He knows you're not. You might become a little bit arrogant. Can you think of one of the disciples that that happened to? Simon Peter. Lord, I'll never do that. Everybody else might do that, but I would never turn away from you. And what happened with him? God showed him. (laughs) He did turn away. 
He did turn away. God revealed something to Simon. Simon wasn't quite as strong as he thought he was. And what did it end up teaching him? Humility, didn't didn't it? Because he went out and fell on his face before God and confessed his sin and cried out to God. And he realized that he wasn't quite the man he thought he was. But it's the hardship as he witnessed Jesus being arrested and going through that. It, it was that that revealed something about Simon Peter. He tests us thirdly to get us totally surrendered. God may tear down every confidence you have, every security that you have to show you that only He can be your true security. God may take away what you love the most. God may take away what you're leaning upon the most to show you you didn't need that after all. Right? And then as we've already alluded to, he may, he may put you into a test to show you who he is. Abraham learned that he is Jehovah Jireh. The God who provides. God stopped him. He turned and looked. And what was there? A ram. And he named that place Jehovah-Jireh. We see in the Old Testament that when the saints of God had a fresh encounter with God, what did they oftentimes do? They gave that place a new name. They gave that place a new name or they, or they attached a new name to God. Study sometime about the names of God in the Old Testament. A rich, rich study. And, and if you'll study the context of each one of those names when they gave God a new name, the context is this, what was happening around that event was God was doing something in their lives and they, they learned of God in that aspect that God would go to battle for them. Or that God would be a shepherd to them. Or that God would provide for them. It was some experience that they went through. And they would give God a new name that corresponded to that experience. That had they not gone through that experience. They would not have seen that about the nature and character of God. That's the biggest thing of all in tests that God takes us through, right? Because we learn about His all-sufficient grace. God God lets us go through a a test, maybe something we would have never thought we could have done. Never. But we go through it with His help. And we see God with us every step of the way. And we learn that indeed he's the God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything we could ask or even think. Amen?
That's the kind of God we serve. That's what Abraham learned. What did God do? What did God do beginning in verse 15 and following? He renewed his promises to Abraham, right? The covenant promises were restated and renewed. Restated and renewed. And he said in verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Does obedience matter? You better believe it does. If you're going through some kind of test today, I, I, I want you to think about several things. I do want you to be reminded that it's nothing unusual. It's nothing unusual. Remember what Simon Peter said in 1 Peter? He said, you are experiencing the test of affliction that your brothers all over the world are experiencing. Folks, we need to understand Christians all around the world go through tests. Sometimes we don't think we're supposed to. Sometimes people act like they're not supposed to. But we see the experience of Christians all over the globe, even today, going through some pretty powerful hardships. And if you watch any of the interviews of these people, listen to the interviews. What's one thing that you see characteristic in all of the interviews by people going through these hardships? Joy. We say, how can they be so joyful? Look at what they're going through in their culture. What do you think they've learned? That God is sufficient. So again, realize that it's not unusual. People all over the world are, are going through tests and trials. We live in a fallen world. And folks, the Bible says before Jesus returns, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But the glorious story of redemption is what? That he's making all things new. Amen? For his saints, there's coming that time and place where all sickness, all death, all pain, all sorrow, all tears is going to permanently be removed. So people who say, if there's a God out there, why doesn't he do something about all the suffering in the world? Guess what? He's going to. He's going to do something about it. There's a better day coming for the children of God. Secondly, I want to encourage you to, to pray. Ask God to give you strength and wisdom to make it through that test. 
Here again, we can, we can refer to James chapter 1, that very passage we talked about a moment ago where James says we go through the various tests. James says in verse 5 of chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God. What's that verse talking about? Don't separate that verse from its context. What's the context of verse 5 of James 1? It's going through tests. Because sometimes when you're going through tests, where do you find yourself? You find yourself lacking wisdom. And so James is saying, pray and ask God for wisdom. That you can make it through that test. And that you can make it through faithfully. So ask him for strength. Ask him for wisdom. Think about the test that you're going through also. What is it about God's nature and character that he might be wanting to teach you? What is it about himself that he may be wanting to show you? And what is it about yourself that he might be wanting to teach you? Could there be a character flaw? Could there be some kind of weakness? Could there be something that God is trying to reveal to you about yourself through that? And folks, let's remember that centuries later... God's son carried the wood and he did die. He did die. The heavenly father stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. But he sacrificed his son that you and I might be reconciled to him. So what he didn't allow Abraham to do, he himself did. Amen?